Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in lacrosse. And the Packers were able to defeat the Jacksonville Jaguars like everybody expected, but not quite in the manner that everyone expected. A 24-15 to victory at Lambeau Field. And I think when we were all predicting a easy Packers victory a week ago, we didn't expect uh, a whole chunk of the team to be unable to play, and that includes players in many key areas, particularly on uh, offense, But uh, although the defense did feel it as well. Um, I guess maybe injuries and, and who didn't play might be as big of a story as who did, but Matt, they were able to find a win with the bodies they had out there, and uh, that certainly has to bode well for the character of this team. Absolutely, and I, you're right, when we talked about what we thought the score was going to be like earlier last week, we didn't know that Jordy was going to be out and that a lot of these other guys weren't going to be playing, so kind of as the week went on and you heard more of these guys are were going to be sitting out, you know, I got a little more worried, I still didn't think that they were going to lose by any means, um, it was even still maybe a little closer than I had expected, but I think it does show that about the team's fortitude, the guys that were out there, you know, played well enough to win. It wasn't impressive or anything, but you got to take it. It's still a win. It was, you know, everybody getting injured and a lot of guys missing. So, I mean, you, you got to take the win where you can get it. Yeah, wins aren't easy to come by, as uh, a lot of teams are finding out in the NFL. And it, I know it's still Jacksonville, but they're still an NFL team, and they've got some good players. And uh, honestly, they have some a little bit better talent than I, quite frankly, uh, expected them to have. Um, I, I guess I'm not sure where to start with this one. Maybe we could start with the defense, which people were really concerned about without Charles Woodson. And I still think that, uh, in my opinion, they were better even than they were last year. I know it was a pretty lousy opponent to really make any kind of uh, long-term assessment about this team. But I still think that some of those huge holes we might have been expecting them to have were a little bit more common than they were in the first seven weeks, but not quite as bad as maybe our worst fears were uh, missing Charles Woodson in the defensive backfield. No, but again, like we had said last week, that um, even with those holes and those injuries, it probably wasn't going to get exposed too much against Jacksonville. So I, you're right, you can't look too much into this, I think, in terms of what we can expect from the future. Uh, Blaine Gabbert honestly played one of the better games I've seen him play. Mm-hmm. He was uh, at least fairly accurate towards the end of the game. He started kind of losing that a little bit, but obviously he's not going to be testing the secondary very much. They don't have much at receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, without MJD and uh, Rashad Jennings and that offensive line aren't going to expose your your holes and deficiency on defense really that much either. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think going against a better offense, which we, w- we don't really see for a couple weeks here, but... I think that with this lack of depth right now and all these injuries, I think there are some holes out there, and I think that there's some room to be exposed, but I don't think the offenses against Jacksonville or against Arizona necessarily will be able to really show that and really make us look as as, uh, depleted as we might actually be right now. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I was going to maybe save this for a little bit later, but uh, ultimately my assessment of yesterday's game is not that the Packers were a a guttier team or that they're an overall more talented team as the reason they won yesterday, although I believe most of those things are true. The main reason they won yesterday is that Jacksonville stinks. (laughs) I mean, if if you look at the way that... I mean, Blaine Gabbert played better than I expected him to play, but he had probably four or five first downs or touchdowns that were just awful, awful throws, way behind a guy, way in front of a guy, and then the ones that he did put on the money were dropped a lot of times. If if you had even an acceptable offense, and especially in the passing game, the Packers could have been in big trouble yesterday. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I guess sometimes you got to take those wins against those bad teams and, and be lucky that you escaped. I think every NFL team takes a couple of those every year, uh, but 
I think the defense was okay. The run defense was good again. I thought this might have been Morgan Burnett's best game I can remember him having in a long, long time. Uh, led the team in yep. tackles, had a sack, a fumble recovery. Um, but really, if you look at the whole output of the team, the offense struggled. Uh, the defense uh, didn't break, but they bent quite a bit. And uh, uh, really, that punt block by Devon House and that recovery by uh, Green Gold Forever's favorite packer, Desmond Moses, <laughs> uh, I think without that, it could have been a much, much different yesterday. You're right, and uh, I'll kind of touch on the first thing here is uh, what you had mentioned with our defense playing well, but if another offense was in there, probably any other offense in the NFL, we probably would have had a pretty good chance at losing that game. So, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, Blaine Gabbert played better than maybe than we expected, but was still really terrible. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of that Chiefs game last year. Maybe if, you know, Matt Castle and that offense isn't great, but probably better than this Jacksonville offense. You know, a mm-hmm. situation like that where we could have come out with a loss in that game. But, um, and I think that what really did impress me was Jacksonville's secondary, too. Mm-hmm. I know we had a lot of our big guys out. You know, obviously, Jordy and, and Jennings weren't playing, but they really shut those guys down that were out there for the most part, and Rodgers had a tough time. And, and I don't think it was as much his fault or even maybe the play calling. I think that they were just doing a really good job blanketing the guys that were out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, props to them on that, and they did a great job on defense as a whole, you know, to hold us to that few points. Obviously, with how bad their offense is, you're going to need to hold us to fewer than that. But, you know, I, I give them credit for that. And they, they played gutsy. It was probably one of their better games of the year, uh, unfortunately for them. They're not a very talented team. Uh, like you said, Morgan Burnett had a very good game. I thought Brad Jones, he really impressed me a lot yesterday. So mm-hmm. uh, I've been down on him a little bit. And I, I know I've commented in one of our earlier episodes that I when I went to training camp this offseason, I was shocked that he was still on the team. I, he had, it hasn't seemed like he's contributed in a couple of years. So... For him to come in and start and, and play well, made a couple of big plays, was huge for him with, uh, you know, the lack of playmakers out there right now. Yeah, I thought he uh, he stood out as well, and it's nice to see some of those guys, and maybe that's just kind of the nature of these linebackers, as much as we bemoan guys like Brad Jones and uh, even Frank Zombo to a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, you throw um, DJ Smith in there as well. Every time these guys do actually get their big-time opportunities, they always seem to rise to the occasion and play better than you're expecting them to. And that seems to, you know, go back a couple of years now. It always seems like it's that first game that they get in there, though, that they do that, and then kind of after that they might disappear a little bit. I, I guess, I guess like Eric Walden rings a bell for when he got that big game against Chicago and, uh, you know, DJ Smith coming in and making some big interceptions last year when he got a chance on the field. So mm-hmm. and hopefully he can sustain this for as long as we need him to with all the injuries, but I don't know if we can really expect that kind of a performance going forward. Yeah, I guess that's a really good point, too. Uh, I guess we've kind of seen that from some of these guys where they rise up and then kind of fall back to the pack a little bit, or sometimes even behind the pack (laughs) a little bit. Yeah, I think overall the defense, though, they played pretty well, considering they were a patchwork uh, unit. Uh, I thought B.J. Raji looked pretty good in coming back. That might have been his best game of the year, quite frankly, yesterday. He didn't do a whole lot, only had one tackle and one assist, but he he seemed to be wreaking a lot of havoc back there. Uh, uh, of course, this being in light of the fact that Maurice Jones drew their best offensive weapon and best running back did not play. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh I guess we could transition to the offense, who I think had a, a rougher day yesterday, especially considering what people expected them to do. Um, very pedestrian numbers for Aaron Rodgers. He needed 35 attempts to accumulate 186 yards through the air. I believe he only had uh, like 81 passing yards in the first half. Did end up with two touchdown passes, no interceptions once again. His quarterback rating better than 95. 
So it's one of those Aaron Rodgers games that uh, actually frustrates me a lot, but he proved that his method is going to be more correct than <laughs> than sometimes the method I wish he would choose. Uh, made hardly any mistakes through the passing game, although he fumbled twice. Uh, but you're not going to throw interceptions. you got a chance to win, and that's kind of looked like what his mentality was yesterday. Yeah, it, it's hard to see somebody who, you know, is that talented and who can sling it that well game manage like yeah. um, some of the other quarterbacks are in the league have to. But, you know, it worked yesterday. It was, it maybe was part of the game plan too, knowing that we probably didn't have to put a ton of points on the board to, to win it and, and couldn't afford to really make any mistakes. So, you know, maybe it was the, the correct type of quarterbacking for that game yesterday. I don't know if it was a coaching decision or just kind of ended up going that way with what the defense was giving us, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no mistakes. I, I mean, he was accurate at least. I, like I'd mentioned earlier, I don't think the receivers were doing a very good job getting open. Finley was again pretty much a non-factor. James Jones didn't really step up like we, you know, had hoped that he would with these injuries. But mm-hmm. it was really nice to see Driver get into the end zone too. I was kind of hoping they would utilize him even a little more than they did. But it was really nice to see him get in there. Yeah, I agree. And I, I kind of wanted to talk about Donald Driver, and it, it seemed like it kind of flip-flopped towards the end, but. I really love having Driver around, and you can tell the fans do too. I mean, they go crazy when he touches the ball, even on like a two-yard catch. But I know, I I think everybody knows the writing's on the wall for this guy, but it almost feels like, what is the point of him even playing anymore? They preferred Boykin over him in the first half. You have Jordy and Jennings out, uh, and he still can't get more than, he probably had less than, what, 10, 15 snaps yesterday? Yeah, it wasn't many. I mean, I don't know what they're seeing. Like, is he that bad? Are they just trying to force him out? I I really don't understand how they could think that Boykin was a better option than Donald Driver, unless he has fallen that far. I haven't been to practice. I know you were at training camp. Don't know if you saw anything about that. But that just really stood out to me, and it makes me wonder... I don't even know what the point of him even being on the roster is anymore if you can't play him for that reason other than to be the Queen of England and wave at the fans and get introduced as a starter even though he hardly ever plays. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I've been thinking that all season. It's kind of frustrated me a little bit being a, you know, a huge Driver fan, like I think most of us are, that we saw him perform big time in the divisional round game last year against New York. He was the only receiver that showed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, played really well, and I feel like he's still got a lot left in the tank. It, it kind of almost seems like there has to be something else going on, whether they want this to be his last year so they can move on, so they're kind of trying to cut down his minutes, so maybe that'll kind of convince him to retire or or what. But it, it kind of feels like there has to be something else here. And I know McCarthy would never own up to anything like that or admit to that. And I guess they're saying, you know, if he's not better than the guys going out in front of them, they're not going to put him on the field, but even a veteran like that who can still play and obviously still catch the ball, you would think they would work him in every now and then just to give the other guys a blow now and then, but mm-hmm. uh, like you said, for Boykin to get in and play consistently more minutes than him, I mean, I think Boykin's a good young player, but I don't think he's got a future of being an elite receiver or anything like that, so mm-hmm. I, I, I think Driver was the better option. I know we're not in practice, and we don't see what these guys do on a day-to-day basis, but Driver's been doing it forever, and he's proven that he can do it, and he's shown that he can still do it. So it is a little confusing to me why this guy is not on the field more, even with everybody healthy. Mm -hmm. So now with your top two guys out, and he still can't get on the field, like you said, you're right. I love to have him around for the depth, but obviously Ted Thompson and McCarthy don't want to use him. So Mm -hmm. when Jordy Nelson and... Greg Jennings are healthy. He's not going to get out of the field anymore. So really, what's the point other than being, you know, a fan favorite and a guy who can do all these community events and everything? He's 
they've diminished his role so much that it's almost useless to have him around. Yeah, and I mean, it's tough to get to that point with a player who's been so great, like Donald Driver and, you know, a fan favorite and everything, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I almost wonder if if he is realizing this, and maybe he's he's just such a community and a company guy that he just doesn't want to say anything, but I mean, it doesn't bother me that much. Honestly, when everybody's healthy, because they have better options at this point mm-hmm. in his career. And that's not saying anything against Donald Driver. He's 37 years old. I mean, 2006 Donald Driver is probably better than anybody they got on the team right now. Yeah. Uh, so, everybody gets old. <laughs> so, it's not anything against Donald Driver. It just It's just very weird when you literally have your starting receivers are the two guys who were your third and fourth receivers going into the season, and he still can't get on the field. So, mm-hmm. I don't really know what's going on there, but... I think we'd all like to see him play a little bit more. Um, as far as a guy who we'd like to see produce a little bit more, I would say that definitely uh, brings your Michael Finley up. Two catches, 24 yards. Once again, he's killing my fantasy team. Um, but obviously he thought that one 20-yard catch was, you know, one of the biggest plays that will happen in the NFL this season. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you thought about that. I, would, I was kind of... <laughs> I mean, you kind of expect that with Jermichael Finley, but when I see that, I'm like, seriously? You've caught like six passes in the last month, and you you finally, you dropped one before then, too, and then you run with your little turkey rooster dance, or whatever the heck it is. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know where that came from, but I I agree, it's kind of frustrating to see a guy do that after not really contributing much all year, and I know he's an excitable guy, and it's probably a big relief for him to get a big catch, and he might go a little overboard, but I mean, in terms of his role, he's... It's hard to tell exactly what it is. It it just seems like when he catches it, he doesn't do anything with it after that, and half the time he doesn't even catch it. So I think we've kind of talked about this the last couple of weeks, but I think Rodgers is not focusing so much on him anymore. And I don't know if that's the play calling or if that's a personal thing for Rodgers to, you know, he's got to start looking elsewhere because he has better options. So, you know, I think Finley is probably not going to find himself back on this roster next year if things keep going the way they're going. And, and I think they're kind of easing their way out of it, whether on purpose or not. But mm-hmm. I think I don't think we're really going to see too much more than this for the rest of the season. I mean, he still gets keyed on a lot, and he's a great decoy. But, I mean, other than the 2009 run in the game against the Cardinals in the wild card round, he's, when has he really been elite or really been the player that we think he should be with his athleticism? Yeah, I, I mean, there's a couple of flashes maybe last year. I know he had that big game against Chicago down at Soldier Field, but... I mean, I don't know. Those seem like all red zone mismatches. And is any of those touchdowns that he caught against the Bears last year, are those something Jordy Nelson can't do? I mean, it it seems like uh, he just seems like a pain to have around compared to what he actually does for you right now. And evidently the the dropping of the football is not something that's just exclusive to Jermichael Finley. That's something that's plaguing all the tight ends with uh, DJ Williams dropping one. Crabtree. And Crabtree dropping one. So I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they use one of those footballs that you buy at the store for like kids <laughs> that have the grippies on them, and they use those in practice. So mm-hmm. I don't know. But honestly, I really, really wanted them to bring Jermichael Finley back last year, and uh, I think if they cut ties this year, I don't think it would get much of a reaction out of me at all. No, it, it, with the play on the field, the personality issues, which I think it's pretty well known that he's kind of the one guy in the locker room who doesn't fit and he's the outspoken one and I think he gets on a lot of players nerves and um, you know as well as the contract he's probably going to demand a lot of money and has at least in my opinion not shown that he deserves it so I think all those factors are going to kind of lead to them 
being okay with letting him go and me being okay with them letting him go as well. <laughs> and I think a lot of other Packer fans would echo those sentiments as well. Okay, the big thing that I think that was a problem with the offense is the passing game was a little bit sluggish. I think everybody kind of expected that once the announcement was made that Jordy Nelson wasn't going to play. The running game, once again, was absolutely atrocious. They had 26 carries, so they certainly committed to it for 66 yards. That's 2.5 yards per carry. Um, with 100 and, uh, what did Rodgers have? 186 passing yards and then, uh, 22 carries for 66 rushing yards. Those are pretty good high school game and a rainstorm numbers for the Packers <laughs> offense yesterday. There's two things that I want to discuss here in regards to the uh, running game. First of all, I want to know what happened with James Starks. He had one carry for eight yards yesterday. How long are you going to let Alex Green run into a brick wall? I mean, he's got two games now with less than three yards per carry, back-to-back. Jacksonville coming in yesterday was giving up over 150 rushing yards a game, and they stifled the Packers completely yesterday. At what point do you give James Starks a chance to win that job back? Yeah, you're right, and it's not like they're playing good run defenses the last couple of weeks that he's been stymied either. They, Jacksonville's run defense is one of the worst in the league, and for him to not be able to get going, you know, a lot of it's on the offensive line, but I agree that I think it can't get much worse than that with Starks. I mean, he's never been flashy or that exciting, but he'll at least get you three yards a pop instead of maybe two and a half. So, uh, you know, I think that they they like that he's younger and they they think that he has a future. So I think that's what they're going with him for right now. But I I think Starks might be the better option right now. So I mean, we'll see if Starks maybe gets an increased role. He might still be a little banged up. We don't really know for sure. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe Starks is uh, once he keeps getting healthier and healthier every week that Benson's out, he'll probably start getting more and more carries. Obviously, more than a couple touches a game. So. Mm-hmm. I hate to see that from Alex Green because the first time he really contributed this year, he looked good, but then the last couple games as a feature back, it's been pretty much nothing. And maybe you're right. Maybe they are just giving him a chance to kind of prove himself, either sink or swim. If he's still getting two yards of carry by the time the bye week is over when they're going to Detroit and to the New York Giants, I would be absolutely shocked if James Starks isn't in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have that kind of production against those teams, especially teams that can rush the passer and, and really make it difficult for Rodgers, even if he's got all of his favorite receiving targets available so and then I guess the other thing is the offensive line and I know we kind of alluded to this a lot but against well granted Jacksonville you know right up there one of those legendary defenses they'll go down in the 2012 Jacksonville Jaguars will be right up there with you know Parcells' Giants and Ditka's Bears but they completely destroyed that offensive line yesterday in both the running game and the passing game Uh, Brian Bulaga looked like a turnstile uh, to borrow your term uh, I just think that Rodgers didn't have a chance on a lot of those, and I know I get on him for holding the ball too long, but holy smokes, did he take a beating yesterday against a team that probably shouldn't have been that big of a problem. Uh, this offensive line really scares me, and if I had to point to one reason why the Packers might not be able to, to be the team we hope they can be, I think the offensive line is who I'm going to put those concerns on. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more there that if there's something that's going to hold us back, you know, barring any more significant injuries, that might be the number one thing. But this offensive line is bad and it, it hurts to see a guy like Bulaga, who I think we all thought had a lot of promise and still not really developing as quickly as you want to and, and not performing and along with the rest of the offensive line. I mean, they've got some big names there that people expect big things from and it's been average at best so far this year. So, mm-hmm. and, if we run into a team like San Francisco or, you know, even maybe like Seattle 
great team with a good defense. I don't know how we expect to win a playoff game against a team like that when we've proven that they can't even handle a Jacksonville front seven. Mm-hmm. So if you have to play San Francisco or, say, Minnesota, Chicago again, or one of those teams. What are the Giants going to do to this team? What are the yeah, Bears going to do to this team second go-around? Yeah, can you imagine you know, them trying to block JPP with Newhouse or, or Bulaga on the outside, it's it's going to be a disaster. So, mm-hmm. again, if we run into the Giants in the playoffs, I'm not going to have a lot of confidence that they can win just because Rodgers is going to get destroyed all day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what you can do to fix it. It seems like some games it's come together well, but most games it's been bad. I don't know if there's anything they can do coaching-wise or if these guys just aren't good enough. I, I don't know if maybe you have to try some other guys that you got sitting on the bench right now to throw in there, but it... It can't get much worse if you can't stop Jacksonville. Well, that's the problem. They have nobody on the bench. I mean, that's yeah. not a very strong position to begin with in terms of depth and things like that. I think a lot of those guys have really plateaued. I think Brian Bulaga plateaued a lot earlier than we thought. I think Josh Sitton's probably the best offensive lineman we have, but I don't think he's anywhere close to as good week in, week out as a lot of people would like to say he is. Um, Jeff Saturday's looked really old. Mm-hmm. So far this season I don't watch the offensive line quite as closely as everybody else I kind of just see it on the periphery But yesterday he he didn't have a very good game And uh, maybe somebody who studies offensive lines Will tell me why I'm wrong But I get, it's hard to argue with 26 carries For 66 yards against the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. uh, Somebody's not doing something right and I don't, I don't know what it is, if it's coaching, if it, if it's the players, but if there's one thing you could say that Ted Thompson hasn't done quite, uh, as well as he's done everything else is that he hasn't been very effective at, at getting offensive linemen that were really good in his drafts. He's gotten offensive linemen that could block long enough to allow their quick passing game to work, but, I mean, they haven't been a very strong running team, or even, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, even in his other really good years in, like, 2009, I mean, he was sacked, what, 50 times that year? Right. I mean, some of these guys just, I don't know, maybe Ted Thompson needs to, to get a new uh, scout for his offensive line department because uh, he hasn't had much success in there compared to his wide receivers, defensive backs, and things of that nature. It seems like in the past we were always just developing these late-round picks, and they ended up being really good offensive linemen. I mean, we've never really had a great offensive line, mm-hmm. but since Ted Thompson's been here, you're right, it's been pretty bad every year, and Rodgers has consistently gotten banged around. And I, He holds the ball a lot, but on most of these, he's not getting the protection that he needs, and you can just tell by watching the offensive line that it's not getting the job done. Like you said, I don't really focus on the offensive line. I didn't play offensive line, which I feel like those are the people that – really notice what goes on in there more but it's uh it doesn't seem good and it, I don't care how good your offensive line is if you're not running for more than 3 yards a carry you're obviously not getting the job done so <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, a good indicator right there Yeah and the thing that worries me as far as the passing game is concerned is even once people get healthy if Aaron Rodgers completely loses confidence in that offensive line with the way he likes to play uh, mm-hmm. I can imagine him getting sacked you know 8 times against the Bears and another 10 against the Giants and yeah. Uh, so hopefully they can figure something out because right now those guys need need some help or need a gut check or something. Yeah. And I, I think the other big thing maybe we could talk about was the special teams play. Two very interesting special teams plays yesterday. The big one, obviously, was the Devon House punt block that was recovered by uh, Desmond Moses in the end zone. The first punt block returned for a touchdown for the Packers since 1990. And I looked that up, Matt. That was legendary Packer Tiger Green with the touchdown. (laughs) 
I was glad you said that because I was thinking about this. Like, geez, I can't remember the last time the Packers blocked a punt. That's 22 years ago. That's quite a long time. That had to be like one of the biggest stretches in the NFL, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I think they've blocked punts since then, but they'd never returned it for never a touchdown. Um, okay. I remember off the top of my head, the most recent one I can remember was in 03 on Monday night against the Bears. I'm sure there's been probably one, maybe two since then, but I can't remember any of those. So uh, it's certainly been a long time. I was glad they showed the graphic on the screen yesterday because I was racking my brain for a few minutes trying to think of the last time it had happened. Yeah, I can't visualize or think of any of them in, in recent history. So uh, nice to get a big special teams play. It, that's one thing I, I've kind of been thinking for a while this season here in the last as well, but it seemed like for a while our, our special teams was just miserable. Even in you know 2009, 2010 when we went to the Super Bowl, that was the big critical area that we weren't getting it done. And it seems like they've really turned it around the last couple of years, and I don't know if they've figured it out in the coaching or maybe just the players they have around, but it seems like this has become you know more of a strength than a huge weakness like it had been for them. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think it started to pick up towards the end of 2010 when uh, Jared Bush and Tim Mastay started Tim to be Mastay like... Tim Mastay was huge, yep. Yeah, and they seem to be... I don't know if you can really judge that or if I've ever noticed it in anybody else, but a punter and a lead special teams player uh, are rarely more in the zone than those two are, I think, uh, over the last couple of years. It seems like J- Jared Bush is always down in those punts inside the 20 when he, when he gets those. So, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, but it was good to see... You know, block punt and Randall Cobbs obviously changed everything for that unit. But the other one that was kind of interesting is the Tim Maste fake punt or fake field goal or whatever the heck that formation was where he tried to throw it back across the field. And I guess I should have thought of it because I think that's how he kicks. But I first thing I thought was I didn't realize he was lefty. <laughs> and second of all, what a weird play call. Um, and last week we didn't talk about it either. They had another surprise onside kick. It seems like Mike has one every single week with these teams. And I don't know. That one really doesn't bother me. If anything, the one yesterday and even the one against the Rams last week was more indicative, not of desperation, but of Mike's belief that these teams simply aren't talented enough to beat my team. So let's just try some fun stuff. Yeah, and I'm not going to complain. I I feel like I complain when they succeed with them because I feel like they're, they're usually in bad situations and in times when you shouldn't do them. So, you know, they've worked so often for us that I'm not going to complain about it. I, I feel like he must have been really confident that it was going to work or he wouldn't have called it, obviously. So, I you know, I it was weird. <laughs> it was kind of bizarre. But, I mean, a lot of times these calls that he makes are and they work out for us. So, we succeeded on him more often than not, so I will give him the benefit of the doubt here. And I'll say, you know, maybe it wasn't the smartest play call. Just kind of weird how they ran it, but, you know, if he thought it was going to work, then then I will accept that, and <laughs> it will probably work the next time he tries it. Yeah, and I think it was, I wonder what the down and distance was for that fourth down, but if it was fourth down and two or something, I'm sure they would have just thrown it incomplete down the left sidelines anyways that they put the offense in. So why not throw it incomplete down the right sideline? There you go. And so that wraps up that. Up next, we have the Cardinals, who are coming to town. It'll be the first time the Packers have played the Cardinals uh, since the 2009 wild card round, where, of course, they lost the highest-scoring game in the history of the NFL playoffs. So it would be nice to get some revenge on those guys, although most of the people who they actually lost to in that game are long, long gone. Uh, overall, the Packers are 45-22-4 against the Arizona-slash-Phoenix-slash-St. Louis-slash-Chicago Cardinals over their history. So uh, hopefully they can uh, put another win on that lopsided history between the two ball clubs. Uh, what do you expect from the Cardinals next week, Matt? 
I think offensively, I don't think they have much more to show than Jacksonville did this this past week, other than Larry Fitzgerald. But I think Tremont has shown that he has the ability to shut down a big physical receiver, so I, I think that he can handle that. And their offensive line is worse than ours is, so if we have a game where we're going to get a bunch of sacks, it's probably going to be this Sunday. So I think it's going to be, you know, maybe a similar score to this past week. I think their defense is good enough to slow us down quite a bit here, but I think that their offense just isn't good enough to put up enough points to beat us again so um you know i'm, I'm thinking like i said low scoring I'll, I'll probably say around god i almost want to say the exact same score as the jacksonville game but um i'll go something like 24 13 i i just feel that um you know whether it's skelton or cobb i believe it's still skelton this week uh but i i just feel like that offensive line is so bad they have no run game and they have one good offensive weapon pretty much so i think that our defense is good enough hopefully we get some guys back from injury to uh to help a little bit but i i feel like our defense is good enough to at least hold them to under 20 points which you would hope would be enough yeah and i i got to agree i think that feels like a 28 14 kind of game mm-hmm. uh it's going to be one of those that's going to look close but you're never really going to feel like they're going to have a chance to to beat the packers so i'll say about that and you say their offensive line is bad. Are you meaning to tell me that an offensive line who paid a bunch of money to get Darren College has <laughs> offensive line problems? And I remember early in the season watching them play, and one of the announcers said he was their best offensive lineman. Oh, boy. But I remember just watching that, uh, I think it was the Thursday night game against, uh, I forget who it was. Rams. It was Rams, yeah. yeah. And Cobb just got absolutely killed, and I've, I've never felt worse for a quarterback. He just got absolutely destroyed back there, and I think he's even maybe a little more mobile than Skelton is, so it should be open season for Clay, maybe, you know, three or four sacks this, this Sunday. <laughs> well, I'm sure Kevin Cobb doesn't want any part of Clay Matthews after their meeting in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. No, that's true. He, he drove his head right into the ground. That was the concussion game, right? Yep. Yeah, it was yep. the game that got Michael Vick his starting job back in the NFL. Yep. All right, so hopefully they can put another win and go into the bye week on a four-game win streak, which sounds really long. It feels like a long time ago when they won 19 straight, but uh, I'll take four in a row. You can't win 19 straight all the time. All right, and we're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to come back, and we've got a new segment from the uh, mind of Matt McLean, and he's going to explain that to us right after this. We like sports and we don't care who knows From shooting hoops to the Super Bowl We like sports and we don't care who knows Football, 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 tennis, hockey, golf The game is starting, everyone is here and welcome back to Green and Gold Forever. Thanks for tuning in today and listening to us. Uh, if you'd ever like to contact us, you can visit us a number of ways. The easiest way would be to go to our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. You can interact with us there. You can go to Twitter at Green Gold Forever. That's Green Gold, the number four and the word ever. You can go to our Podbean page where you can get our entire archives and all the new shows. That's GreenGoldForever.Podbean.com. And that's, of course, the number four. And also you can go to Green Gold Forever, same as the Twitter handle and the Podbean page, to see our YouTube page where we have archived segments, and sometimes we post the show in its entirety on there as well. So that's a number of different ways you can reach us, and actually we did have somebody that gave us a comment today about yesterday's game. I had thrown out a question on Twitter uh, late this afternoon uh, about what people thought of the game yesterday and if they thought the injuries would hurt us, uh, and we got a response from Runaway J uh, at Green and Goal Forever. Injuries will be the least of the team's problems if they can't get their offense and defense on the same page. And I think he, he brings up a good point where some of these guys that uh, they do have playing, I know they're... 
not maybe the same caliber as the guys who are injured, but, you know, it's the old adage that uh, these guys are on scholarship too. I mean, they're making money, and hopefully it was just a rocky start for some of those guys, but they have to be expected to produce long-term if they're going to be in there, I would think. Yep, you're right, and these guys are going to have to step up. It's kind of funny that you ended like that because I was just thinking all week how I'm so glad that we've never used the phrase next man up because it drives me <laughs> nuts. I, I feel like it's every analyst's favorite saying in the world and they use it constantly. But, I mean, that's the motto you've got to have. The guy who comes up behind has got to play just as good as the starter, even though obviously you can't expect that every time, especially with elite players going down. But mm-hmm. these guys coming in, filling in, they've got to step up and do just as good as the starters were doing you know, and play to the best of their abilities. Okay, and thanks, Jay, for uh, interacting with us. And everybody, you can uh, interact with us on uh, any of the mediums that I told you about there. And we're going to move on to a new segment here that Matt thought up this afternoon. And I'm going to let Matt explain it because I'm not sure I even completely understand this uh, zany, fun-having idea we're going to do right now. <laughs> All right, good. I hope you don't understand it because then it'll be even more fun. But <laughs> we're going to call it Crossfire, so hopefully eventually in the future we can get that awesome music from that 90s toy commercial of that game, Crossfire. <laughs> um I don't, I don't know if you ever really played that much, but it seems like every time I did, we didn't have all the pieces, and I never really got to play it at its full potential or anything. But I think I played it at a friend's house. I wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, so that's what we're going to call it here. And basically what we're going to be doing is just kind of having rapid-fire questions back and forth, um, just random NFL questions that I think are kind of fun to talk about and discuss and things that, considering we're a Packers-based show, we might not really get to talk about. And we don't really get the chance to just talk football here, so... Um, other than Packers-related things, obviously. So we'll probably just give it to a few sentence answers, you know, just come up with a quick answer and just kind of shoot back and forth here. Uh, this might be something that you guys can also get involved in if you go to our Facebook page or Twitter. If you want to shoot us one of these, we'd be glad to insert it into whenever we're the next time we do this segment. So uh, if you come up with a good one of your own to ask us, we'll both respond to it and see if you agree with us. So uh, if you have different ideas on the questions that we're answering here, feel free to comment on that too and, and let us know what you think because I – None of these are really clear-cut. I mean, they're up for discussion, so uh, we'll just briefly be going over them. So feel free to chime in if you want to. Eric, we'll start with you here. Me just asking you a quick crossfire question here. Okay. Um, we'll start with kind of a, a question relating to the same draft. And um, I know a lot of people kind of compare Eli and, and Philip Rivers, but what I want to ask you is, so far in their careers, who's had the better overall career? Has it been Eli or Ben Roethlisberger? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. Oh, that's a really tough one. I'm trying to think. Playoff appearances, they got to be pretty close to equal. I know they've missed a few. I'm going to say Eli Manning uh, has had the better career between the two because I feel that although they both have two Super Bowl rings, they both have a pretty comparable amount of playoff appearances. I know Ben has the extra Super Bowl. I think he's played on a better overall team throughout his career, and I think Eli has taken some lesser teams to the Super Bowl. I think the world still will never, ever know how he did it. Uh, neither of those teams probably were the best in either of those years, but somehow he found a way to get it done. Yeah. Um, I would say that it's very, very close. In my opinion, I think I'll put Eli just a bit ahead of Big Ben, just because I think his quality of teammates has not been as high as Ben's. All right, sounds good. So just quickly then, since we are doing crossfire here, I won't keep it too long, but I, I think I would agree with you in, the, in that aspect, and I think you do might maybe have to look a little bit at Roethlisberger's off-the-field stuff too. I, I think that contributes a little bit. So I think Eli, you know, I'm assuming has had more you know, passing yards over his career, more touchdowns. He just, to me, has seemed like the more convincing of the two uh, with Roethlisberger playing on better teams like you'd mentioned. Okay. Yeah, I, I think we're in agreement on that one. I have a Packers one for you. I'm going to bring it okay. back, which... 
might be one that's debated for the rest of time here. Mike Holmgren or Mike McCarthy, who's done a better job coaching this team? Oh man, that is a tough one. Um, man, I feel like it was stacked a little harder against against Holmgren when he got here, but you know, overall, I think. I, I think I will stick with Holmgren. I mean, that's a really tough one for me, and I think that McCarthy with a couple more solid years could could eclipse him, in my opinion. But I think got, getting to two Super Bowls is the big one. More consistent, they didn't lose those bad playoff games or just really that many bad games in general. So I think that's my number one determining factor is they didn't go and lose, you know, in the wild card round, didn't lose in the first round of the divisional round, you know, like against the Giants. Obviously, in 98 in his last year, they lost to San Francisco, but that's a pretty darn good team. They weren't heavy favorites. So mm-hmm. I think that he had the team play more to their potential, but I think McCarthy in the in the near future could get back there if they can. he can, he can take the team to another Super Bowl maybe. Yeah, and I'm inclined to agree with you. Uh, we'll see what happens with McCarthy in the future. I think right now I, th- I still think it's in favor of Mike Holmgren. Um, in that six-year stretch, they played in 14 playoff games, which is a ridiculous number. Um, I can't remember if it's exact, but Holmgren at Lambeau Field was something like 47-4. and four. <laughs> So um, I think they're both pretty close, but I, I think Holmgren started a little bit deeper in the hole, and his teams were just solidly consistent. And I think some of those playoff losses that McCarthy has incurred, maybe not completely his fault, but they certainly look worse than anything that's happened to Holmgren. Even though Holmgren's teams got dominated by Dallas, Dallas was a great football team. You don't see him losing to Arizona and the, the New York Giants in his career. So I think they've both been absolutely incredible, and uh, both of them are probably going to, when it's all said and done, we'll see what happens with McCarthy, are going to be right on the cusp of that uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame type career, but... For right now, I'm going to stick with Mike Holmgren. Sounds good. All right. Um, my next question for you here at Crossfire is, I'm going to make you pick one of these players, and you have to choose one of them to go to the Hall of Fame. Oh, these are all players still playing, but towards the end of their career. Um, and I know you have pretty strict guidelines for who you think should go to the Hall of Fame, so this might be t- difficult for you, but you got to choose one here. So okay. uh, future Hall of Famer here, choose either Antoine Winfield, Reggie Wayne, or James Harrison. Oh boy. <laughs> um gosh, that's tough. I'm trying to think I don't know if I know Winfield's career numbers off the top of my head. I know he's had a lot of pro bowls. He's played for a number of different teams. That's tough. I think uh, Reggie Wayne would be 3 on that list. I think there's too many wide receivers right now. I don't think for most of Reggie Wayne's career with the Colts, he was even their best receiver. Um, I know a big time in my criteria and in your criteria as well, it's a lot about dominance, especially with these offensive players that, you know, they're all accumulating a ton of yards now. Um, Antoine Winfield is another guy who's really, really good, but I don't know if anybody really went into a game thinking he was going to destroy their passing game. James Harrison is kind of a throwback now, and as much as he irritates me, and I think he's kind of a knucklehead, and he he really, I wish he would be a little bit more careful with his own body and the bodies of his opponents, and I hope it doesn't come back to haunt him someday. But I think people worried that this guy was going to destroy your passing game single-handedly, and I'm going too long on this, but uh, 100-yard interception return for a touchdown in the Super Bowl, James Harrison. Right, yep, I'm, I'm gonna agree with you there. I hate to agree with you again here, but I think that the receiver positions are watered down, like you said. The reason I picked these three is because I've heard all three of them, um, by announcers this season saying that they are future Hall of Famers. So, uh, oh, wow. you know, with Winfield, he's, he's had a really good career, but like you said, never really been, you know, the best corner in the game or one of those guys you really worry about. Uh, Reggie Wayne's been, 
I would say elite, but I, I think he's right. I would put him at two, actually. I think Winfield at three. I think Wayne's close. Okay. But I, I think I'm going to go with James Harrison because, like you said, the big impact plays. There was a couple years stretch there where he was arguably, arguably the best linebacker in the game, and he pretty much won them a Super Bowl with his his big play there. So mm-hmm. I will agree and say Harrison is probably the number one option there. Maybe it's probably not a first ballot, but I think down the road he probably will make it. Okay. Uh, I got one for you here. Who was a bigger bust? We're going back to 2002. David Carr or Joey Harrington? Uh, I'm going to go with Joey Harrington because he's he's out of the league now. At least I think he is, right? I, I don't think he's sitting on anybody's roster, whereas David Carr is still around. He's sitting but, on the desk next to Eddie George at, uh, well, not on the desk, behind the oh, desk. Oh, that's right. On uh, FX and Fox College Football. Yep. Um, I guess I think that, uh, although they both went into really tough situations, I, I just felt like Harrington's bad was worse than David Carr's bad. Um, neither were great, but I, I think the fact that Carr is still around in the league and is at least a serviceable backup, um, and I think... That's debatable. Yeah. <laughs> I, he's at least one of those guys like Doug Peterson who you hope you never have to start, but if you have to, he's not going to you know completely fall over and trip over his offensive lineman and fumble it on the goal line, Yeah, Graham, Graham Harrell style. So <laughs> I, I think I'll, it's close. They're both awful careers, both huge busts, but I think I'll go with David Carr. Yeah, and I think I'm inclined to, to agree. Um, I always Joey Harrington was kind of my Cade McNown. Uh, I always thought that he would figure it out and kind of get going. Uh, just taking a quick gander at their numbers, Joey Harrington was a little bit more prolific uh, in his career, but still never cracked the 20-touchdown barrier, uh, nor did David Carr at any point in their career, which that's kind of surprising. Um, I think David Carr gets the edge because he... Uh, gets the edge as far as being a better player because he played for an expansion team. He got sacked, uh, I think it was 6,121 times in his first year. And um, he was more careful with the football. I remember having games where we watched Joey Harrington would just throw it all over the place. He never seemed to be a threat to throw it downfield. So maybe this is just a disadvantage for Joey Harrington because we got to see him twice a year for about five years. But I would agree with you. All right, next crossfire question for you coming your way here is, and I will give specific examples for each one, but I want to know what you think is the most annoying of NFL pregame shows. Now, you can use any of them. You can use ESPN. You can use Fox, CBS, even NBC if you want to. Um, first thing that comes to mind, my mind with Fox is I know you like it more than I do, but I can't stand Terry Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. I think CBS is just overall terrible. And I don't know if you've watched much ESPN. It's usually the one I watch. But the thing that drives me most crazy lately is – Tom Jackson, if anybody says anything, he makes us mm, mm, sound like it's <laughs> either like sounds like the most delicious food ever or just it's just like the best point he's ever heard. But you just say like, oh, the Packers are playing the Jaguars this week. Mm, mm, just every, and I can't, I can't handle it, but uh, it's just driving me absolutely crazy. And, I, and NBC has pretty bad things on their own. I know a lot of people hate Bob Costas. So I just wanted to know maybe what was your least favorite and which one's your, your most favorite pregame show. Oh, boy. Okay, well... For me, it's it's pretty tough. Right now, I'm, I don't think any of them are all that particularly great. Uh, I guess if I had to pick which one that I didn't like, I would probably have to go with ESPN because I don't really like Keyshawn Johnson all that much, and Mike Ditka seems to never bring that many good points, and I did right. notice Tom Jackson doing that, and I hate how Berman talks until he can't even be heard anymore. <laughs> so... I would say that's probably my least favorite. It's also way too long. <laughs> I just think by the time I watch a half of that show, I want to watch football, and it's you know 10:30 Central. So, um, my favorite is still Fox. I think um, I do like Terry Bradshaw. I do like Jimmy Johnson. Uh, Howie Long seems reasonable. Uh, Michael Strahan's actually growing on me a little bit. Um, I think that uh, it hurts now that um, 
Frank Caliendo isn't there anymore. And Frank, or not Frank, um, Kurt Menefee, right? That's his name? Yep. <laughs> um, he's just kind of a little bit of a dweeb, but <laughs> I think I prefer that. CBS is the most nondescript, boring show. I really like Boomer Esiason. I, I kind of like Shannon Sharp. I like Dan Marino. Uh, I like to hear them when they're on different things, but on that show, for whatever, it just seems really, really plain and not entertaining. I do sort of like the NFL Network pregame show, but again, that's four hours long, and you know, most of the time I'm I'm not watching it, and I hadn't had the ability to watch it until a couple weeks ago. So, least favorite is ESPN. My favorite is Fox. All right, and my least favorite I'm going to say is actually Fox, just because I can absolutely not handle Bradshaw, and I like you said, Kurt Menefee is is pretty bad himself. Not as, as funny, not funny. Yeah, and it seemed like when they had Caliendo on, I feel like that's the reason they got rid of him is because Menefee got so offended after every single joke about him that he couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, he would just get extremely mad at at those little skits. But I'm going to say my favorite is actually the NFL Network one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like Rich Eisen, and I think Dion's hilarious, and I think the other guys they have on there are good. Obviously, Mooch is awesome. Yep. But uh, I, if there's one thing that brings it down, is that CeeLo intro song is just the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't know who... My friend Jordan and I were talking about this the other day, and we couldn't figure out who that got by for them to be able to put that on the show. Who listened to that and thought, oh, this is really good. You know, this is kind of like our Faith Hill thing. Mm-hmm. It's so bad, and I, I have to mute it or change the channel when that's on. And, and they show it twice, too, so I, I absolutely can't handle that. But the NFL uh, Network pregame is pretty good, if you ask me. Yeah, and that probably would be my second choice. So I think we're pretty close, although... You need to like Fox more. It's better than you give it credit for. It's not. <laughs> okay. Um, here's a tough one for you. It's not a crossfire, really, one or the other. It's just kind of a question. It's something we've discussed for a long, long time. Who has the best uniforms in the NFL? Oh, man. Um, and why don't we say that the Packers are excluded, because I feel like we're both a little biased, and at least I would choose the Packers and take the cheap way out, just because I love you know the historic uniforms. Okay. Um, so I, I would say Packers, but I think other than that... That's a tough one, and I, I think I would go with Pittsburgh just because I, I really like those classic uniforms. I feel like there's a lot of outdated ones. I would say uh, Tampa Bay, Carolina, just for for starters, a couple of them that are starting to look outdated because they don't have that classic feel. Um, you know, even San Francisco and Dallas are great as well, and I, I don't mind Chicago's. But uh, I think I will – Kansas City's are great too, but yeah. there, there's so many that I like. There's, there's a lot that I don't like, but there's a lot I do like. But I think that just because of the classicness, I think – I wouldn't mind if they switch back to their their old font of the numbers, but I think Pittsburgh's are probably my second favorite. Yeah, and that's a really good one. A lot of the teams that you mentioned are all the ones that were in contention in my mind for my own as well. Uh, I honestly, though, I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. I I like that look. It's very simple. Uh, I always joke that they should change their uniforms so that these commentators on the different networks actually remember that they're not a very good football team anymore (laughs) because they just look like a championship team in those uniforms no matter how bad they are. Uh, and obviously some of the greatest players in the history of the league have played for that team with that uniform. Uh, it's been unchanged since the mid-60s, which I think is another cool thing about uh, a lot of those teams we mentioned. So I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Um, so I uh, I think, I know I agree with the Dallas Cowboys. I think it's a great uniform, but it, I, I, don't know, I, just, I just hate it, I guess, that brand. <laughs> that it makes me not like it, even though it's a great classic jersey, but it's just how much it gets pushed in America's team, and I just seeing it since we were little and everybody... Yeah. Jumping on the bandwagons when they're good, I guess I just can't stand it. But it is a great jersey, so. Yeah. Next question for you is, and I have a couple of examples here if you need me having to, uh, well, let me start that over. Okay. I have some examples here if you need help getting started thinking about some of these guys, but I wanted to know who you thought is the best athlete in the NFL. 
A um, couple of guys that popped into my head right away, just for starters, that I thought were Calvin Johnson, Adrian Peterson, Patrick Peterson, Gronkowski, Patrick Willis. You know, the list goes on and on, obviously. But um, who do you think is the best overall athlete? Oh, gosh. Uh, I feel like whatever I answer here, somebody's going to think of somebody that I, <laughs> I'm not thinking yeah. of right now. Yeah, that's why I tried to give you a few examples, just so you yeah. didn't miss somebody completely blatant. But, yeah, there's a lot of guys I'm sure that I didn't mention that are probably better than all of them. So, um, trying to think of somebody who can just really, <laughs> really do it all. Um I don't know. I'm almost tempted to say somebody like, and, and I don't know how good of a blocker he is, but I'm almost tempted to say, uh, you know, somebody like Jimmy Graham or mm-hmm. or Rob Gronkowski or somebody who can just block, who can get open, who can make spectacular catches. Um, <laughs> it feels really restricting. I know the old adage is that the best athletes are on defense, um, <laughs> but I, I guess I can't think off the top of my head really. I guess I'll go with. I guess right now I'll go with uh, with Jimmy Graham. He, he seems to make absolutely ridiculous catches. He's a huge, huge guy. Um, I know somebody's going to kill me on that choice, but I, <laughs> I think that was uh, I'll just go with that for now. I reserve no, the right to change my mind when uh, I get a chance to think about it longer. But that's yeah, crossfire. Yeah, I agree with, disagree with you completely. I had Gronkowski on my list. I think they're very similar guys, and I think that's a good choice. Uh, another guy that popped in my head now when I was just thinking was Jason Pierre-Paul, another great athlete. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I think I will go with one of them that I had listed and say Patrick Peterson. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's kind of he doesn't have the size, obviously, but I feel like the speed, the agility, and he's pretty built himself. And I feel like overall, if for one complete athlete, uh, I feel like he was probably the best in the league. Yeah, that's a good choice as well. It's hard to disagree with that. I didn't even think of him. <laughs> okay, I got two tough ones for you for my uh, last two here, and then you'll have right. your last one. And this one could do a whole show on. You have one game. Who's your quarterback? 2010, 2011, Aaron Rodgers, or 96, 97, Brett Favre? Um, man, I, it's just my personal preference, and I know that a lot of people disagree, but I would go with Rodgers easily, honestly. And I, I know Favre wasn't quite the interception-throwing machine back then yet, um, but I just feel like I love that cons- more conservative quarterback. It's just kind of how I am, and I... I think that 2010 Aaron Rodgers was the best quarterback I've ever seen. Now, granted, I was only 10 when 97 Brett Favre was in his prime, so I don't remember it quite as well as you who watched the film of those games more often than I do, of mm-hmm. course. But um, but I, like I said, I think 2010 Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback. 2011 Aaron Rodgers, I would say. That, that era Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback I've ever seen. So I am going to go with uh, recent Aaron Rodgers over Brett Favre. I wish I could make a caveat to my own question here, <laughs> but um, oh, this is so hard because you feel like you're downgrading the other one. They both, you know, those are two of the best seasons, pair of seasons that you'll ever see for any quarterback, any athlete. Um, man, I, I'm actually going to go, and I hope he doesn't hate me if he ever hears this, I'm actually going to go with Brett Favre, and it's for a very simple reason, actually, well, a couple of reasons. One is, if the game's at Lambeau Field, I trust 1996 Brett Favre more than I do Rodgers. Um, his record in the cold was very good, and it's a little exaggerated, but he still had really good games. He wasn't throwing interceptions very often back then. And I know Aaron Rodgers had the 45-6 and six for touchdowns and interceptions last year. Favre in 96 had 39. Uh, last year when Rodgers threw 45 touchdowns, he didn't even lead the league. 
when Brett Favre had the 39, it was the third highest total in the history of the league. So you almost have to adjust the numbers for inflation a little bit. Um, I saw both of them play. They both wowed me. Um, I just think, oh man, it, it's it's really tough. But I think that I would take uh, 1996 Brett Favre. Yeah, and for quarterbacks in their prime, I mean, those are probably two of the top five all time, I think, in terms of their plateau, mm-hmm. their peak being that high. I mean, maybe you throw like a, a Tom Brady and then that undefeated season and maybe a, a, a Marino or an Elway in there somewhere. But I think those two in their prime have, are probably two of the, the best that we've ever seen. So you can't go wrong either way. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, my last question for you here, uh, and I think I, I know which way you might go with this, but I want to know which team you feel is the best that never won the Super Bowl. And I did pick out one from each era here. You can maybe choose between these four that I have, um, or if you come up with somebody better, feel free to say that too. Okay. My uh, 70s is the Tarkenton Vikings. Okay. I have the the Fouts-led San Diego Chargers. Okay. And I know there's a lot of good teams in the 80s too that didn't win, so maybe you can come up with somebody else. Um, the 90s, Jim Kelly Bills, or the 2000s, McNabb-led Eagles that went to four straight NFC Championship games. Oh, wow. Uh, this is tough. Um, I think Kelly's Bills, they're the one who I want to say, but I can't in good conscience. Um, <laughs> people who know me know that I'm a, a big collector of games. I have been for a long, long time. I have all of those playoff games, you know, in that era for the, the Bills. And uh, the level of play between the AFC and the NFC is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I don't think the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl would have beaten any of the top three or four teams in the NFC in any of those years. So I think they kind of were more of a benefactor of a really bad AFC as opposed to one of the all-time great teams. I still think they're a great team, but I don't think that uh, I don't think they were ever the best team in any of the years they were, they uh, they made it to the Super Bowl. Okay. Um. Oh gosh. I'm gonna have to go with. The Tarkington era Vikings, um, and that's slightly over the Eagles in the early 2000s. They just had so many dominant teams. I mean, them in Dallas, and actually the 70s Rams is one of the most underrated teams of all time, too. Uh, they were just, they completely dominated that conference, and that's the difference between the two con- conferences was not that great back then. Um, so I would say that those teams, I'm surprised they couldn't just do it one one of those years. And they got killed all four times that they played in the Super Bowl. But they were there every year. They've lost a bunch of other NFC Championship games during the decade. And I know they had some really good opponents in the AFC, the Raiders, the Dolphins, the Steelers. I, I just can't believe they, they weren't able to put it together for one week with as good as those defenses were. Fran Tarkenton was putting up like Marino and Brady-like numbers uh, when you compare it to his 1970s contemporaries. So... That that one's probably the biggest surprise. I'll, I'll I'll have to say the '70s Vikings. Yeah, and was there any other era teams that you thought of that maybe popped in there? Maybe another '80s team that may, I mean, the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl twice and didn't win. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the '80s Broncos were there a little bit. Uh, was there any other teams that kind of stuck out to you that I didn't mention? No, a lot of those '80s AFC teams were pretty bad compared to the NFC teams. I mean, the NFC was just head and shoulders above. Um, I think everybody pretty much who was really good in that era, maybe the Marino-era Dolphins, but that, again, I don't know if there's any Dolphins fans or big Marino fans, but I don't think in any of the years that people say he could have won a Super Bowl was his team the best in the NFL. Um, The only thing maybe that I'm more confused about is why some teams like maybe Ditka's Bears didn't win more (laughs) or, or, or something like that, but... 
I think pretty much your your greatest teams in NFL history are pretty well accounted for. The two big ones that I think stick out are the Vikings of the 70s and honestly the Rams of the 70s. I think people forget because they only made it to one Super Bowl uh, with one of their worst teams. People should go back and look at the, some of the records of those 70s Rams teams. They'll be shocked at how good they were. Yep. And I like what you said about Minnesota. I mean, not only did they make it to the Super Bowl a bunch, but they were right there. Basically every other year they weren't in the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, I don't have a lot of, you know, myself haven't seen a lot of those Vikings play much, so it's kind of hard for me to judge how good I thought they were against the other competition from that time. But I I feel like they're they're probably the choice for number one, but I'm, I'm going to go with Buffalo. And I know, like you said, the AFC was weak then, but I just feel like, and maybe this was amplified by the lack of talent they were playing against, but there was just so many really good players on those teams. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, from the offense and the defense all together, you know, Daryl Talley, Bruce Smith, um, you know, Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly, Andre Reid. There was just a lot of talent that I feel like, uh, you know, the AFC was a lot worse, but I, I feel like out of these four teams anyways, I, I feel like the Eagles are close, but they only had one Super Bowl. So I think it's between the Vikings and the Bills for me. Um, but I'm just going to go with the Bills, and I think maybe it's because I've seen more of them. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I guess I'm going to go with Buffalo. And, and that's a fair choice. I mean, really, they were a missed field goal away from winning one anyways, yeah. uh, if you want to go by that. But um, I think that where I'm a little bit of a benefactor of having seen those games recently, because I have them floating around my house, um, I, I used to think that too, and not, and not that that's a wrong opinion. People can disagree with me. But if you watch one of those AFC Championship games that they won and then watch the NFC Championship game right after it, it's not even close. They're just throwing interceptions, there's turnovers, people aren't doing anything, and then you see Dallas and San Francisco play, or then you see the Washington Redskins in 91 play. And uh, it's not a surprise anymore that those teams were able to handle Buffalo, at least in my opinion. Yeah. All right, and my last question here, which I kind of selfishly picked because it is the basis for a blog post that I'm going to put up at the end of this week, and that is, who did you hate more? The 2003-2004 Vikings or the 2009 Vikings? 2009, without question. Uh, I hated the the 0304 Vikings with a passion, but and those might be, you know, there's definitely two of my top five most hated teams of all time. But just Brett Favre being on that team, there is no matching my hatred for that Vikings team in 09. I would, I don't want to spoil my list here, but that has to be my least favorite team of all time, and I have never cheered harder against a team than I cheered against the Favre Vikings and. I, I don't know if I've ever been more exhilarated, you know, minus Super Bowls uh, and a couple other games, but top five sports moments of all time for me, of happiest moments of when Brett Favre threw that interception <laughs> to New Orleans in the NFC Championship game. I was screaming and rolling around on the floor and running around the house. It, it was, And I became a huge Saints fan for a couple of days there. So I, I'm i going to have to say not even really close. I'm going to have to go 9 Vikings. Okay. Um, I don't want to spoil my list either because those are both prominently featured on my list. But I could see how uh, you know you could pick either one of those teams. Um, the, the the Far Vikings, I think, the difference between the two is for whatever reason the Far Vikings, and maybe this is because some of those guys are still left and the Vikings aren't good anymore. But I really really hated Brett Favre during that era. Mm-hmm. But everybody else, other than maybe like Jared Allen, sometimes, and I always still liked Adrian Peterson, and I always kind of was a fan of Percy Harvin, and yeah. and some of those guys. Whereas. Kelly Campbell and Dante Culpepper and guys like Corey Chavis, Chris Hovan, yeah. ugh, Mike Tice, <laughs> uh, the Love Boat, Fred Smoot. I mean, ugh, I, I hate that whole team. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, those are definitely two. I think, uh, I don't know about you, but maybe just throwing that out there to kind of tease the, the list, or the list that we'll, we'll do eventually, is that um, for me at least, those teams both trump the 90s Cowboys as far as hate for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's definitely one that was going to be on mine too. Is but I, you know, the Vikings. I think, you know, in, in history, Packer fans are supposed to hate Bears the most, but the Vikings have always been my least favorite. And I, and I, I don't know if I could feature a Bears team on my top five. And there's two Vikings easily within the top five. Yeah, and I won't tease my list any more than that. But I think it's different for people our age because the Bears were never really a threat. When we were there, I mean, even when the Bears were kind of okay when we started watching under, you know, when Wanstead had some pretty competitive teams the first few years he was there, um, the Packers always handled them. I mean, pretty yep. easily when they actually played. So um, I don't know if you can hear this. I do have something for you just to kind of put a put an end to this episode. Brett Favre goes back to pass. He pumps. Now he fires over the middle. Intercepted. I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. It was intercepted by Tracy Porter. Near side to the 40. And John Sullivan runs him down at the 47-yard line. You've got to be kidding me. I can't believe what I just saw. Looking at that play, he should have just held on to it, Paul. He should have. He could have easily gotten five or six yards if he would have just pulled that thing down and dove forward. But why do you even ponder passing? I mean, you can take a knee and try a 56-yard field goal. This is not Detroit, man. This is the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, that one of my favorite radio calls of all time. And I loved when I, I used to listen to the local radio when I lived in Green Bay, and they would just all morning the next day and the whole next week, they would just play that that sound clip constantly mm-hmm. uh, with the Brett Favre interception. I just relive it over and over again all week. I will agree with what you said about one of your top sports moments. I was actually with, with some friends at Buffalo Wild Wings watching that game. When he threw that interception... We jumped up to the point where we knocked our table. We almost completely knocked it over. We had to catch it, and there were some pretty uh, big Viking fans that uh, didn't really appreciate our reaction too much, but I didn't care. (laughs) All right, and so that's the end of the first Crossfire segment, and I think that was a real good idea, Matt, and uh, I hope we continue to do another one of these in the future. And we would love to hear some of your topics. And when you pitch us your topics, we would love to hear your answers as well so we can throw you into the debate. And uh, then we can debate some of your some of your items as well. So uh, send us your crossfire topics that we can talk about at our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast, at Twitter, at Green Gold Forever, or on our Podbean page. You can post it right underneath, maybe where you're listening to this uh, podcast right now, down in the comments, and that's at uh, GreenGoldForever.Podbean.com. Thank you for everybody for joining us this evening, and um, just want to say one thing real quick, whether she's listening tonight or if she's listening tomorrow, she always tends to uh, check everything. I want to wish a happy birthday to my mom, Matt's stepmom, so happy birthday to mom from uh, Eric and Matt. Happy birthday, Jackie. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in once again, and uh, we'll catch you all next week. Take care, everyone. <laughs>